jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass for as a mouse is Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 232, In the Time of Yell, Monday, September 30th, 2019. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. And each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website. Yarns at yinhu.com. I keep detailed notes about my knitting projects on Ravelry, so if you're curious about something, you can probably find more information there. I support this podcast through sales of my pattern designs. When you purchase a pattern, you are helping to keep this podcast up and running. Today's episode includes the following segments on the porch, so forth, and off the shelf. I have some news and announcements to share. The first is an email I received from Soulfire Farm following my $100 donation to the Soulfire Farm Institute. And this was based on hashtags and posts made following the release of my Yogi Socks. And quite a few people followed along, downloaded the free pattern, and posted to social media. So I made a contribution based on that. And I received this lovely letter. We like to think of our support networks as operating like the fungi communities that live on tree roots and collectively convert nutrients in the soil into food for entire forests. Similarly, your contribution provides essential support for our work to transform racism and injustice in the food system. Through the interlocking roots of food access, farm-based education, land sovereignty, and public consciousness raising. This year, our focus is on strengthening and deepening our projects. Invigorated by the diversity of our immersions, we are offering our classic farming immersions, newly renamed Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Farming in Relationship to the Earth, acronym BIPOC FIRE, as well as two farming immersions in Spanish and two in building skills. In our local community, we continue to provide sliding scale CSA farm share to 100 families, mostly living in food apartheid neighborhoods, and organize Soul Fire in the City, a program that helps urban residents transform their lawns into gardens. We are also deeply excited to continue incubating the development of the Northeast Farmers of Color Mutual Aid Network and Land Trust that will support land-based projects by people of color throughout the region. And we host programs on farm and tour our new book, Farming While Black, Soulfire's Soul Fire Farms Practical Guide to Liberation on Land, and we're engaging with thousands of folks throughout the country on issues of food justice, land sovereignty, and the human right to live a healthy life. Our project could not exist without the enthusiastic support and input we receive continually from our community. 
Thank you for joining us in this life nourishing work. And it's signed Larissa, Leah, and Jonah and was sent by Damaris Miller of the Institute. This letter just confirms my sentiment that Soul Fire Farm is doing excellent work with the donations they receive and really making that money count for the people who need it most. And it has also given me the inclination to send more dollars in support of their efforts in the future. So October is coming. Tomorrow is October 1st. And for knitters, this has traditionally been a month of sock knitting with lots of sock themes running. Being that I have a new pattern design coming out on Friday, October 4th, I was thinking about the fact that this is my third sock design available on Ravelry and that I'd like to run a little sale and promotion. When you use the code SOCKTOBER19 at checkout, you will receive a $2 discount from any or all of my sock patterns. In addition, I pledge to contribute $1 from each sale of a sock pattern to create an additional donation to Soul Fire Farm, and that will be ongoing throughout the month of October. This promotion will not be widely publicized. I really want the $2 discount to be exclusive to Yarns at Yinhu listeners. And I am excited about the new pattern forest floor coming out. Uh, my test knitters have done an amazing job. Their socks look absolutely gorgeous. And I can't wait for uh, the publication of this pattern on Friday. The new design doesn't come out until the 4th, but the $2 discount begins tomorrow, October 1st. If all goes according to plan, I will only talk about knitting yell during one more episode. (laughs) I'm almost there. It has been an era. I was messaging with Emily and Sarah, and Sarah of the Fibertrack podcast said that we should use the letters BY to indicate before yell just like we use BCE. And that feels true. I feel like I'm at that point in this project where I can't remember a time when I wasn't knitting on yell. And that it took me longer to do yell than it took us to do the bathroom project. That's wild. Between the bathroom project and yell, I have learned a lot about stamina and focus. And I have also learned to set some fears aside, trust the process. Um, I've learned the value of doing some research about methods and really considering what method to use on a project. Yeah, it's been an era. In the last episode, I talked about being ready to do the steak. I did. Samuel filmed it. 
I posted the video on Instagram and thank you so much if you were one of the folks who liked and commented. Um, It was really gratifying to receive all of the kudos and the admiration for the steak cutting. After that, I was able to try the sweater on and check the sleeve length or the projected sleeve length, I guess I should say, because I did cut the large motif short by one um, pattern motif, and I think that will be perfect. I'm now working on knitting the beautiful color motifs on the sleeves. They were flying And then I realized that my little circular needle was starting to be too long. So I had to switch to double points and that has slowed me down a little bit. I was considering actually magic loop um, to do the sleeves because having those stitches and changing colors so frequently on the double points is a little unnerving. And the only double points I have in US 1.5 is a set of four because I snapped one of them. So I really want to have my work on four needles and knit with the fifth, but that's not happening. So I think think I've talked myself into maybe doing some magic loop at least for a few inches on this sleeve until I can comfortably work on those three double points. The Beautiful motifs and all the color changing on the sleeves are incredibly motivating. So I feel like I will finish sometime this week. That is my thought. Um, I also immediately following cutting the steak, I worked on creating that border and using the steak sandwich. What this does is create two layers of stockinette knitting which are joined, and within those two layers, your steak is contained. So there aren't any raw edges. Um, Not that a steak in 100% wool would really have that much chance of unraveling. Lots of people leave them completely unfinished. But because it's along the front border and the sweater doesn't button or anything, it just kind of wraps over and you pin it closed. I figured it would get kind of a lot of tugging and I just wanted something that was really secure and nicely finished since I've invested so much time and energy into the sweater. I really want a nice finish. If I were a perfect knitter, I would rip out this whole border and I would repeat the exact process I used with one exception, I would pick up four stitches out of every five along the edge instead of three out of every four. I feel like the three out of every four kind of tightened things up and I just have this feeling of always wanting to kind of pull that down. I'm hoping with the blocking I can correct this because at this point I really don't feel like ripping that all out. It's not that many rows but it's knit flat so instead of purling back on the color work I just kept restarting new strands of yarn and knitting flat. 
So there was a lot of weaving in to do. I don't think it will be that easy to take this border out for that reason because of everything that's woven in. And I'm not sure that I have enough yarn actually in the colors I use to knit it again. And reusing the yarn I don't think will be possible because of how many breaks I made and how many times I stopped and restarted at the beginning so that I could knit it flat. But maybe some, you know, sometime in the future, if I'm bored, <laughs> maybe I will redo that neckline. I am reasonably pleased with the fit. The shaping and the design of this sweater mean that it kind of hangs off the back a little bit. And I feel like my wide shoulders are really an advantage for this sweater because even on me, it seems to want to slide back a bit because the shoulder seam is really behind the shoulder. If I had really understood the fit of this sweater, I think I would have created a little bit of a steak in the back neck just so that it would sit forward just a little bit. I understand now conceptually how I could have made that happen, but the first time I'm knitting through this, I just needed to follow the directions and see how this all went together. Um, I don't think I, at first I was thinking, oh, I should have knit it longer, but longer would have made it longer in the back too. And I really like the way the sweater falls across the back, across the front. It seems like a little bit short to me. I'm not really accustomed to wearing cropped fashions. It's something that I'm still getting used to. So I think maybe some of the discomfort has to do with that. And also that I've been trying it on in uh, this unseasonably warm weather. <laughs> the day that I did my steak and tried it on initially, it was like 85. And I think maybe some of the discomfort I felt in putting on the sweater just had to do with it not really being an appropriate temperature to wear something like that. I think this will be incredibly warm. I think it could be fun to treat it more like a jacket than a sweater because of how thick it is. Um, and so far, I'm really proud. I feel very proud of the work that I've done and very eager to see this come to completion. And I'm sure you are too, because maybe you're tired of me talking about it. I want to give a shout out to Emily, who has commiserated with me and advised me uh, in my knitting of Yell. And without her and without all of you other Marie Wallen knitters out there, I don't know if I could have come this far with Yell feeling as good as I do. So if you're still working on the Marie Wallen Cal Wallen Along, I'm sending positive energy out to you so you can dash to the finish. I look forward to seeing some of these beautiful projects at Rhinebeck. I do plan to attend. 
And we should have an easy time spotting one another with all of our beautiful Marie Wallen knitwear. Hopefully the weather will cooperate. Um, and we'll be drawing, I will be drawing prizes probably in my second October episode. I will announce the prize winners. Uh, just because I haven't talked about this in a while, I have two prizes. One is a $25 gift certificate to the Woolly Thistle. And the other is an assortment of goodies. Some of the things were um, additional uh, goodies that I put in the retreat bag for the Knit Local Getaway. And some of them are donations and contributions I received. There is a chicken pin cushion that I sewed myself. And other assorted goodies. Sometimes I pick up additional things when I attend festivals and stuff like that. So I will be awarding those two prizes separately. I may let the winners know before the end of October, but I will be announcing who won in my second episode of October. That will be sometime following Rhinebeck. With all the knitting I've been doing on Yell, I haven't spent too much time on other projects. I'm still working on a pair of socks. They're just a plain uh, sock with some of my usual features, uh, and they are knit in common tater colorway. It's a self-striping colorway based on potatoes from Joanna of Knit Spin Farms. Uh, homestead in Indiana. I love this Tarhi sock yarn. It is so beefy and wonderful to knit with and I'm always in the mood to purchase more of her self-striping yarn. I still have the gourd uh, colorway to knit but I think I might need to stock up on a few more. The only other active project I have on the needles is Morning Fog. It's a cowl that I'm knitting in my handspun by Yuko Shimizu. I have not made any progress on that since my last recording, but tomorrow I plan to attend Knit Night, and I will be taking that with me to work on. I'm also growing very, very strong in my inclination to start another pattern of Yuko Shimizu's, which is the Hildemore vest. I need Aran weight yarn, so that could be a future purchase, or I have been toying with ways to combine a few lighter weight um, yarns in my stash to create an Aran weight yarn. And I think that could be an interesting way to go, maybe a little fidgety handling all of those different balls of yarn but I think it could make a beautiful fabric and it would be a great way to use some yarns from my stash that I've really wanted to work into projects but just wasn't sure exactly how. Maybe this could be just the thing or maybe I need two versions of the vest. One with a combination of stash yarn and one with some newly purchased Aran yarn. Time will tell, my friends. Time will tell. There has been a lot of sewing going on at Yinhu. 
Last weekend, I sewed a shower curtain for our newly renovated bathroom. We had contemplated different types of glass enclosures and shower walls. And I think our capacity for decision making had just run out. Um, This is an expensive proposition and we didn't want to quickly choose the wrong thing. So we decided that a tension rod and shower curtain would be a good stopgap measure until such time as we decided and maybe it will be the permanent solution. Who knows? But I wanted it to be very nice looking and so I ordered uh, a really substantial tension rod and the kind of shower curtain holders that have a hook for a liner curtain and another uh, hook for the fabric outer curtain. And I ordered some fabric. We compromised on a fabric. It came and I was surprised because maybe I hadn't read the description very well. I was surprised that it had a soil and stain resistant coating on it. Uh, which I assume does not just disappear when you launder it because I immediately had it laundered. (laughs) But I thought that that coating might be nice for in a bathroom because I hopefully it would help resist um, odors and mildew and that kind of thing. I ordered five yards of fabric and I do have quite a large piece left over with a selvage edge. Uh, But the fabric was only 54 inches wide, so I needed to double the amount in order to get my 70-inch wide shower curtain. And I I did a little piecing, but I didn't want to do too much piecing. So eventually I was able to just fold this fabric in half and cut it. And then I had one piece on the side to make up for that 70 inches. I made a nice um, placket along the top where I put my buttonholes and I had a nice deep uh, four or five inch hem along the bottom which really helps weigh the curtain down and keep it in place. The fabric shower curtain however comes down evenly along the outside of that and I measured so that it would be about three quarters of an inch from the floor. So it would go almost to the floor, but not sit or drag along the floor. Uh, I needed to use a tape measure, the same kind we were using for construction all summer, rather than my plastic um, tape measure that I usually use for sewing because I needed something rigid to really get an accurate measurement. And so I was using my metal tape measure for the entire project, pretty much. I needed to use my floor. Probably the most challenging part of this project was the space needed to lay everything out and do my figuring, uh, measure twice, cut once. Uh, So I used the floor and that was fine. Uh, It wasn't too fiddly. I wasn't pinning pattern pieces or anything like that. So working on the floor wasn't too terribly uncomfortable. And then the final difficult task was installing 12 buttonholes. 
The buttonholer on my Janome 500 Sewist is decent. I did three test buttonholes. They were all great. And then the first buttonhole that I went to put on the shower curtain didn't work right. <laughs> it is possible but not easy to remove all of the stitches that the machine creates when making a buttonhole. And I needed to do that three times. So three times over these 12 buttonholes, my machine really acted up for some reason and it just wasn't installing the buttonholes properly. Luckily, the fabric for this shower curtain is black and I was using black thread, so any irregularities aren't really noticeable. Samuel was incredibly impressed with the shower curtain and the fact that I made it in the space of about four hours last Saturday. And uh, we both really like it. It's, it seems to be a perfect fit for the bathroom and the project went so well that it occurs to me I could have a second version at some point, maybe in one of those bold patterned prints that I was most interested in and that, you know, we could sort of rotate in and out of the busy print and the more sedate one that we have now. I posted some befores and afters and a video clip of the shower curtain that I made and I want to thank everyone who gave me um, congratulations and remarked about the bathroom project. Uh, that was so nice, so kind. I showed them to Samuel. He was overwhelmed. And uh, we're both very pleased with the project. Uh, still can't believe that we did the vast majority of that work ourselves, and we are really enjoying our beautifully renovated bathroom. It also seemed to spark some interest in some kind of like a home deck make-along. Uh, that could include knitting, sewing, weaving. And I thought that might be a nice idea for November and December. Home deck projects are also great crafting ideas for gifts because you don't have to worry about something fitting or someone, you know, really loving it the way you need to love something you're going to wear. Uh, there are all kinds of projects you could do and gift for the home that are a little less personal um, and maybe less investment of time as well. So that could be an idea for a November, December make-along. If you like that idea, I hope you will let me know in the comments for this episode on our Ravelry thread and maybe even chime in with what you might be interested in making during such a make-along. Right now, I'm working on finishing up the Marie Wallencal, but home deck could be in the future. This weekend, I worked on a couple additional sewing projects. One is an idea I've had for quite a while to use some plaid fabric to sew a version of the pharaoh dress, the sleeveless version, to wear with my Yell cardigan. The inspiration for this comes from the way Yell is styled 
in Marie Wallen's beautiful book, Shetland. Her model, Georgia, is wearing a very full uh, T-length dress, the top of which is obscured because it's covered by the cardigan, but the the bottom sort of billows out in this, you know, wonderful plaid loveliness. And I thought that would be interesting. And then I found some plaid on really deep discount. I think it was like $6.99 a yard at a local fabric store. So I bought a big quantity of it, I think about five yards. And then I purchased some plain black flannel for the top to create sort of a color blocked version of the pharaoh dress and then I had seen some maxi length versions of pharaoh so I extended the skirt pieces to a maxi length and I employed my mom's assistance in plaid uh, pattern matching so that uh, I could get something that was visually pleasing for the skirt of this dress. On Saturday, I sewed the entire dress minus the hem, which I usually leave for another day if I am not in a rush to finish, and tried the dress on. And it's a pharaoh dress with a black top and a plaid bottom. And it's it's everything I thought it would be, <laughs> except that paired with the top, the Yale cardigan over top, it's a little bit voluminous. Um, I wonder if I should have selected the Highland wrap dress or something with a little more waist definition. I don't know. I'm a little iffy on wearing the two together. Like I said, I am still growing accustomed to cropped sweaters and designs. And I see that a lot of current fashion involves a dress that's sort of shapeless at the waist, but with a lot of drape and then some sort of cropped sweater. I'm just not sure about the whole thing. <laughs> and the design of Yell means that you can't really belt it or pull it in or anything like that. So it was suggested that maybe I could just wear it around the house and try to get used to it. And I think that this is a lovely dress, especially for the holiday season because the plaid is red and it's very, very, very comfortable. And the pockets on the pharaoh dress are amazing. I'm just not sure about it as an outfit. I do have some other options for what to wear with Yell. So I'll keep thinking it over and try to decide. In the meantime, I have started the beginning stages of a project to incorporate two yards of woven fabric that I purchased from Lily Marsh when I was on the Knit Local getaway and she had a little shop set up at Battenkill Fiber Mill. 
I purchased this two yards of crepe weave, which is kind of like a disorganized, it's not really a patterned weave, it's all one type of yarn, so there's no color patterning. And it just has like a little bit of texture to it. I guess I don't know enough about weaving to explain exactly what crepe weave is, but it's a little bit textured. And it's woven with extremely fine yarn that was um, spun at Battenkill Fiber Mill. And the wool content is East Frisian and Alpaca. So it, it's sort of a very beautiful oatmeal color. Uh, but not something that I really wanted to wear. So I have the idea of using a walnut dye to dye this fabric and sewing up a project that I could eke out of this two yards of fabric. It's only 40 inches wide, and I've never sewn with this kind of fabric before, but it is quite thick, so I wanted to create something that didn't have a lot of seams or fine details. Um, and I think I have settled on the York Pinafore from Helen's Closet. I purchased the pattern, printed, taped it together, and then I made full width pattern pieces. So a lot of times in sewing, you will fold the fabric put down a piece that represents half of what you want and then cut on the fold. It's recommended and I feel much better about cutting into this beautiful woven fabric if I have full pattern pieces. It also allowed me to see if, yes, indeed, I could get this entire pattern from the... Um, length and width of woven fabric that I have. And I can, I laid the whole thing out. And then I did not cut it yet. <laughs> Instead, I gathered walnuts and I pounded the um, outer uh, hull off of the nut. And I am soaking two pots of that overnight Today, I will simmer those pots for an hour, and then my dye will be ready. And I have two pots because I'd like to put the back pattern piece and one of the pockets in one pot and the front in the, and another pocket in the other pot because I really want the, there to be enough dye to penetrate all of this fabric, and I feel like if I pushed it down there could be some areas where it the dye doesn't quite get to it and I don't want that and I also thought I would throw in bias tape as well one of the reasons this York pinafore appeals to me is that it's finished off with bias tape and that means reducing a lot of the bulk that you would normally get in finishing um because you just have that lightweight bias tape. So I think this could be good. And I was even thinking that I might purchase a lightweight um, long sleeve cotton tee and throw that in the exhaust bath so I could get something that would coordinate. This is all pretty ambitious. <laughs> And uh, one of the concerns I have is how much 
the woven fabric will fray when I cut it. Another is if there will be any shrinkage um, when this fabric is dyed and dried. I do not think I will simmer the fabric in the pots. I think I will just have it at a simmer when I put it in and then allow the fabric to sit and cool and soak for quite a long time to get the deepest color that I can. I will also take a measure to over edge stitch the entire cut edges of the pattern pieces to reduce the possibility of fraying. And I feel like I'll be a lot more secure when I put those into the dye pot if I have run. Um, it's, it's my alternative to serging because I don't have a serger, but I have an overage foot that I use quite frequently for all of the finishing uh, inside my garments. And I can just run that all the way around the outside of all these pattern pieces. It's also recommend that you do stay stitching along the neckline and the arm openings so that you avoid stretching. And I think I would do that as well. I'm, I haven't engaged in a project like this, dyeing uh, for garment work um, so and using walnut dye. So I'm really curious to see how this will turn out and if I can finish it in time for Rhinebeck. There will be a lot of fabric available for purchase at Rhinebeck that has been woven by Lily Marsh with um, yarn that has been spun on that Portuguese spinner that I talked about in a previous episode. Um, Mary Jean Packer purchased a Portuguese spinner that spins very fine and at high quantities that are appropriate for wovens. So I am really in the market for purchasing some additional yardage at Rhinebeck. And I feel like I will be virtuous in my purchases if I have already sewn up the fabric that I bought in the spring. Off the shelf. Today I'm going to share a poem written by Martine Espada. I have uncovered this in my ongoing search for poems with references to textiles, however brief they may be in the poem. And I was really pleased to find this poem by Martina Spada because I have long admired his work and I have been privileged to be able to see him read at the Geraldine R. Dodge Festival in Newark, New Jersey. He's an incredibly inspired and powerful reader of his own work. Additionally, his work is of interest because issues of social justice creep into all of his poems. Every one that I've ever read has the theme of social justice. Um, he says, I grew up with it. I grew up in an activist household, his father's household. His father, Frank Espada, was a well-known um, social justice advocate. Resistance was as natural as breathing. I was surprised when I went into the world and discovered that not everybody was raised that way. So when it turned to the writing of poetry, 
Quite naturally, it turned to poetry about social justice. That's how I was raised. Um, there's another quote in here. Oh, yeah. Richard Blanco commented about Espada's poetry that his poems continue to define the role of the poet as an emotional historian. Like Whitman, Espada stirs in us an undeniable social consciousness and connectedness. The poem I'm going to read is called Flan. It's for Jack. I was eight when the blackout struck and the lights died all across the city like a massacre of fireflies. In the projects of Brooklyn, I steered myself to 14F. Fingers spread against the cool tiles of the hallway, past the concrete and chicken wire terrace, where I once burnt ants with a magnifying glass. Many years later, at the Chinese restaurant uptown, Jack said, They got any flan here? He was my first poet. I had seen the fireflies in his sonnets blink and float away. Fulano the philosopher in the unemployment line, Blanco the painter painting in the madhouse, Monterosa the dealer killed by a shotgun in a bar on Avenue A, his mother the seamstress and the quick needle of her sewing machine, Jack the moving man, his hands sliced raw. He stacked his apartment with dictionaries in three languages. I knew the raconteur's grin with every tale. Raul Julia is a friend of mine, a Puerto Rican playing Macbeth. He took 14 curtain calls on opening night. Maybe he would tell me now that Flan was not Puerto Rican or Mexican or Spanish, but Chinese, invented by a trembling cook to satisfy the palate of an emperor in the Ming dynasty. No Flan, Jack, I said. This is a Chinese restaurant. Two minutes later, he said, they got any flan? I showed him the dog-eared and fingerprinted menu. No flan, I said. When the waiter unfurled his pad, Jack said to him, You got flan? He sang this song for an hour. The egg roll was not flan. The fried rice was not flan. The fortune cookie was not flan. Can we get some flan, he said. God damn it, Jack, I said. The poets crowded into the bar, striding to the mic. Jack stood with poem in hand, read the title, tilted his head, and said it again. Studied the page as if the words shriveled up like ants burnt under a magnifying glass. Then sat down. I witnessed the massacre of fireflies. A few of us clapped, not knowing what to do with our hands, staring at the sonator who lost all of his quatrains and couplets in the denim jacket he left on the subway. The words of Fulano still waiting on the unemployment line. The faster you spin, the stiller you look. There's something to learn in that, but what? After the diagnosis, I handed Jack a book of poems. He dangled the book upside down like a stiff mouse by the tail, something we would sniff behind the refrigerator. I wanted sonnets. Jack kept singing the chorus of a song. Get me to the church, get me to the church, get me to the church on time. 
At the end, I leaned over Jack's bed to read his own poem in his ear. But some words come home after the blackout, fingers crawling on the wall. I know what I should have said in the Chinese restaurant. Jack, let's go get some flan. We should have braved the subway at rush hour, strap hangers rocking all the way to 14th Street and 8th Avenue, to La Taza de Oro, gone now like Jack, for rice and beans, squid in its own ink, cafe con leche y flan. Jack, a spoonful of flan for you, after all the years of sonnets, and bread for me, the steam rising when your hands cracked the crust at the table.